You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. Boy, what an absolute abomination, a letdown, a disappointment for both teams as the season resumed last night. I mean, unbelievable. Nimmo hits a leadoff double, and that was the Mets' only hit of the night. They essentially got no hit. The Yankees and the Mets, collectively, last night, every game holding so much importance for the rest of their seasons. Combined, after three batters into their games, they were done. They were finished producing. Are we overreacting to one game? It's not an overreaction anymore for either of these teams, the Mets or the Yankees, because we're so late in the season. It's not an overreaction. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. You know, it's funny. We had a caller just before the break ask if I would uh, include Anthony Volpe in a trade for either Otani and Soto. And yes, for a number of reasons. The first and foremost, like I said, is that you have Oswald Peraza as a backup for Anthony Volpe. And I started to think what prospects that you have heard about in the Yankees' minor league system over the last five years, over the last 10 years, over the last 20 years. What prospects have come up to the Yankees and flourished on the major league level? Now, the Yankees, and I'm just doing this off of the top of my head, the Yankees have not had a lot of success in that regard. And the Yankees really do seem to not have a firm grasp on the talent or ability of their prospects. Case in point, who has worked out? Let's start with the success stories. Well, obviously, Aaron Judge is first and foremost. They drafted him late in the first round out of Fresno State. He fell into like the mid-20s of the draft out of college. Um, but it took him a long time to come up through the system. And I remember the day, and it was in 2016, and it was right around the time of the Yankees, you know, famous, the really the only quote-unquote rebuild they've had during the last 30 years. They realized that they were getting old and, and they were getting stale. Uh, Alex Rodriguez was in his last days. Um, they were about to move on from him. Jeter was gone. Mariano Rivera was gone. They traded a Roldis Chapman. And they got back a package centered around Glaber Torres and actually Billy McKinney, interestingly enough. They traded Andrew Miller and got back a package of players centered around Clint Frazier. They also traded Carlos Beltran. So the Yankees called up two young prospects from their minor league system to give them a chance. Now, Gary Sanchez was already up, and he was doing amazing things in 2016. But the Yankees called up Aaron Judge and they called up Tyler Austin. And they both made their Major League debuts on the same August day, and the Yankees batted them 8th and ninth in the lineup. And even, this is a little thing, okay? But they batted Austin 8th, and they batted Aaron Judge ninth. And it's funny because they both hit in their first Major League at-bats. They hit back-to-back home runs. Austin was a fly ball to right field that got over the right field porch, And then Judge came up, and Judge's first major league at bat, he hit one off of the batter's eye. It's called the Pepsi Lounge now. Back then, it was called the Mohegan Sun Restaurant in center field. It was just an absolute blast, and it was an historic moment. These two young players hitting back-to-back home runs, each of them in their first major league at bat. It was a very cool moment. But even that, the fact that the Yankees clearly had Tyler Austin ahead of Aaron Judge 
in their pecking order. And then Judge struggled the remainder of that season. Struggled with the Major League strike zone. Chased balls out of the zone. Struck out a lot. And then in 2017, he was actually the last player to make the roster. It went down to the final day of spring training, and I forget who he was competing with for that last roster spot, but Judge was the last Yankee to make the roster in 2017. And then he came out, and he hit 52 home runs. He was the rookie of the year, and he was the runner-up for the American League Most Valuable Player to Jose Altuve. But even the Yankees didn't seem to fully understand what they had in Aaron Judge, and he was their guy. But all that being said, Judge is a guy who came up through the Yankees system and had success. Another guy is Gary Sanchez. And I don't know what happened to Gary Sanchez, but you can't argue the fact that he came up in 2016 and hit like 20 home runs in 54 games and almost won the rookie of the year while playing a third of the season. And then in 2017, he was right in the middle of the Yankees lineup and was awesome. 2018, he started to tail off, and he was really never the same player again. But he had immediate success. But a long, sustained, flourishing career? No. Judge is on his way to doing that. But Sanchez had two or three insanely hot years and then completely tailed off from there. And then before that, who? I mean, you've seen flashes from Luis Severino in that same 2017 season. He was a finalist for the American League Cy Young Award. But he's had, and this is largely injury-based, but he hasn't had the type of long, flourishing career that you would want from somebody who came out of your farm system. I remember in 2005. Now, this is still just on the heels of the Yankees being the, the, thank you, the dominant team in baseball. All right, this just illustrates another example of how the Yankees don't really seem to know their their farm system, and their prospects. Because, look, they win the three World Series in a row, and they still have the whole, you know, it's Cashman. I mean, Cashman's still here. It's Joe Torre. It's Jeter. It's the core four. They're still, uh, well, I guess Andy Pettit had moved on to Houston at this point. But the Yankees are still a very, very big factor in Major League Baseball. You know, 2001, they lose the World Series. 2002, they lose in the playoffs. 2003, um, they lose the World Series. 2004, they blow the thing to the Red Sox. So they're, they're still making deep playoff runs every single season. And in 2005, they just got off to a brutal start. And it was around May. Uh, they decided to call up two prospects, but they weren't even highly touted prospects. They wanted to shake things up, so they brought up two guys who were producing well in the minor leagues. And I think they brought them up on the same day. And it was Ming Wong, who no one had heard of, and it was Robinson Cano, who no one had heard of. And those two guys, probably over the last 20 years outside of Aaron Judge, the two best examples of somebody who came up through the Yankees' farm system and had a long and flourishing career. Cano absolutely did. You know, if Cano stayed in New York and didn't sign the big contract with the Mariners, and then, of course, he got into trouble with the PEDs and being suspended a couple of times. But before all that happened in his career, Robinson Cano was on track to be a 3,000-hit guy and an easy, easy Hall of Famer. But the Yankees brought him up from their minor league system, and he was an afterthought. And the same thing with Chin Ming Wong. They brought him up. He led the American League in wins with like 19 wins back-to-back -back years. He hurt his foot running the bases 
in Houston when the Astros were still a National League team, and he's never been the same since. But it's almost like when the Yankees do, and by the way, this is almost 20 years ago that I'm talking about these two guys coming up from their system. But when the Yankees do bring someone up from their system and the rare occasion that they do go on to have a long and successful major league career, the Yankees still don't seem to know what they had. They didn't know what they had in Cano. They didn't know what they had in Chin Ming Wong. They didn't know what they had in Aaron Judge. You know, all we hear about are the Gary Sanchez's of the world, and he was really good for two and a half years, and he flamed out. All we've heard about is, you know, Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza. The next guy on the list is Jason Dominguez, who is in double A right now and is batting under 200. So, yeah, I would trade Anthony Volpe because if the Yankees think that he's going to be a stud, the chances are he's not going to based on history, especially if you're going to get a guy like Otani or Soto. The Yankees... Yankee fans like to say that they don't like to spend a lot of money. They spend a lot of money. They just don't spend it wisely. They have the second highest payroll in baseball. They just don't spend their money wisely. They're not averse to spending money. They seem to be averse to spending money wisely. And the other thing, and this is the difference between current Yankees ownership and Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen will spend more money to make up for mistakes that the Mets have made in spending money. Hal Steinbrenner seems to be against that. And I, I can't really say that I blame him. At a certain point, you do have to turn off the faucet. But it's frustrating for Yankee fans. And that's how you get into the situation where you have a $300 million payroll and you have holes all over your lineup. You have holes in your starting rotation. That's where the frustration comes in from the Yankee fan. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Steven in Michigan. What's up, Steven? Good morning, Pat. Good morning. How are you? So I've got to tell you, um, with what you're talking about, um, the, this speaks to a bigger problem with Brian Cashman and the Yankees as a whole. The internal player evaluation is just poor. You know, you go down a huge laundry list of players, Clint Frazier, Miguel Andujar, Rob Resnider, Greg Bird. I mean, they just don't seem to be able to understand what their own players are and what they're going to become. And this is a big problem with Ryan Cashman. Um, but as for the trade deadline, I look at this team and I don't think that they're good enough. I think that they're really flawed. And even a Shohei or a Soto, in my opinion, is not going to completely save this season. If you want to get them, that's great. But you have to realize that they're also going to have to commit to them big time financially and are the Yankees willing to do that? And is it smart? Because they operate under a budget. You're paying Judge $40 million. You know, Shohei's going to cost you 50 So I would look to start selling pieces at the deadline, like Harrison Bader, Severino, and start retooling this because the team is old, and they're not all that impressive, frankly. That's a very good way to say it, Stephen, and thanks for the call. This team is old, and they are not very impressive. The problem with the Yankees becoming sellers at the deadline, and I like the philosophy or the strategy, if you will, but what's Harrison Bader getting you? I mean, you just gave up a quality left-handed starting pitcher for Harrison Bader in Jordan Montgomery. Are you getting something as valuable back in return? No. I mean, he's, he, fits, he fits what the Yankees are supposed to be. You know, if you have Judge 
and Stanton and LeMahieu and Torres and Rizzo all playing up to their capabilities, then Harrison Bader is the perfect guy to put in center field, bat eighth, get on base, and get big hits when there are guys on base. What Bader is being asked to do right now, hit cleanup, that's not who he is. That's not who he's supposed to be when the Yankees traded for him last year right around this time. I don't think you're getting a ton for Bader. You're not getting anything for Luis Severino. Luis Severino might be done. I mean, it's been seven starts since the beginning of June, and six of them have been awful. The only reason he's still in the rotation is because Nestor Cortez isn't back yet. Now, Cortez, they moved him to the 60-day injured list when they activated Carlos Rodon last week. So Cortez can't come off the injured list until August 3rd at the earliest. So essentially, these next two or three weeks, Luis Severino is a guy pitching for his job here in New York. If he pitches well, he stays in the rotation, and the Yankees will figure it out. But if he continues to get shelled game after game after game, I don't see him having a role on this team or any team, and I certainly don't see another team giving up prospects or anything valuable for him. The reason you would trade for an Otani or a Soto, and I agree, you could bring one of those guys in, and there's still a very, very good chance that the Yankees don't even go to the playoffs this year or at least make a run to the World Series. The reason you would bring those guys in is for next year and the year after that and the year after that. If, if you want to commit to those guys long-term, and I don't know if they do, I would honestly lean more towards Soto than Otani. I think um, over the next 10 years, Soto, I honestly think over the next 10 years, Soto is going to be a more productive offensive player. You know, with Otani, there's still too much of an injury risk. I know Otani's a better offensive player right now, and of course he has the pitching thing, but Otani's also going to cost twice as much as Soto. You know, if Soto's $35 million a year, Otani could be 50 $55 million a year. But either way, if you do trade for one of those guys, you do it for the future to commit to them long term. And with Otani coming up as a free agent, you would have first dibs and you would give him the opportunity to see what it's like to play here in New York. Um, and with Soto, you would at least have him under control for another year. He's a free agent after next season. But they have historically, like I said a couple minutes ago, not shown the willingness to spend more money to make up for mistakes in their spending. So is that going to change? Something's got to change. We know that. Something absolutely has to change. All right, we'll take another break here. Uh, we'll get some reaction here from the Yanks after their loss last night. From the Mets as well, Buck Showalter, Justin Verlander, what happened to him on the mound? Uh, as the show continues, we'll get to a little bit of football Uh Two days and counting until the uh, deadline for Saquon Barkley and the Giants to come to some sort of an agreement. Otherwise, the start to his season could be in jeopardy. And your call's at 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you Saturday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. We'll uh, continue with the Yankees as that has been the topic of conversation so far. Uh, Yankees lose 7-2 to at Colorado. A leadoff single by Glaber Torres, followed by a two-run mammoth home run for Giancarlo Stanton. 
all was right in the world. The decision to fire hitting coach Dylan Lawson and replace him with Sean Casey looked genius at the time. And that was all the offense the Yankees could muster the rest of the game. Aaron Boone afterwards, what did he see from his team's bats? Just we got to mount more. Uh, I thought we had some 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 guys put together some good at bats. Obviously, Glaber at the top with a few hits. Big G with a big swing. I thought Donaldson had good at bats all night. It was good to see DJ come get a couple hits and Volpe stung a couple balls. But overall, we just got to generate more. You know, I mean, simple as that. Not the way we wanted to start off this series. Again, the best sign from last night was that the guys who the Yankees absolutely need to produce did produce. Three hits for Torres, two for Stanton, two for LeMahieu, and a base hit for Rizzo. Also, Stanton providing all the offense with that two-run home run. Those four veteran players, eight for 16 in last night's game. The rest of the Yankees uh, were hitless last night. So the Yankees are now 49-43 and 43 in the division, which really doesn't mean anything except it's a talking point. The Yankees are tied for last place with the Red Sox right now. But as far as the wild card goes, you've got Baltimore in the top spot, and they are five games ahead of both Toronto and Houston. So it's the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and the Astros are the three wildcard teams right now. The Red Sox and the Yankees are both tied and both two games behind both Toronto and Houston. So Boone was asked if he's worried the wildcard race might be slipping away. Look, we got to be better. I mean, plain and simple. So I'm not worried about where we are. Like, it's all there in front of us, and we don't have to go on some incredible run. Like, we control it. Yeah, but we all know we got to play better than we're playing. And, you know, a little bit, we obviously got to get the offense going. We can, we can pitch, we can do a little bit of everything better. The good thing is we're in a position where it's in our control, but, you know, we got to, we got to go do it. And, you know, I think to a man, we all know we got to be a little bit better. Carlos Rodon made his second start as a Yankee. It wasn't as good as his first start. He's still working his way back. Look, he made his season debut uh, after the calendar had already turned to July. Through 88 pitches last night, wasn't as sharp. Five innings, four hits, four earned runs. He did strike out six and walked a couple, gave up a home run. Uh, Michael King then gave up a two-run home run out of the bullpen to... Uh, to Chris Bryant, Albert Abreu allowed a home run as well. So the bats were there for the Rockies last night, who are now 35 and 57. But it's just two starts for Rodon. Start number two, not as good as start number one. Uh, Yankees staked him to that two nothing lead in the bottom of the second inning. He gave the lead back and then some as the Rockies scored three runs and they led the rest of the way. So here's Rodon on what happened in the first two innings. Yeah, I mean, behind an account, was in a lot of hitters counts in that second inning, and, you know, they made me pay for that. Just got to work on getting ahead, getting ahead of guys, and uh, I felt like they had a good a good, a good, good plan uh, once again. They attacked a fastball with found the slider late, but it was too late, so it was 3-1 uh, to one by that point. The good news is the pitch count continues to be built up. Perhaps his next start, which should be the middle of next week, I believe, in Anaheim against the Angels, he should be at or around 100 pitches. And then from that point on, it's it's kind of full go. So, look, I, I don't think there's anything to get concerned with Rodon right now. I was impressed with his first start against the Cubs last week. Yankees didn't score for him there. Uh, they didn't score for him again last night. They scored the two early runs, and that was it. So I think he's still building towards being what the Yankees need him to be, which is the really good number two starter right behind Garrett Cole. But did Rodon feel tired throughout last night's game? Felt, you know, I felt pretty strong throughout the whole thing, um, actually. I felt more tired throwing less pitches last time out than I did this time. 
also a good sign there. So the Yankees lose 7-2. to two. Uh, back at it tonight, and again, it'll be Clark Schmidt against Connor Siebold. First pitch just after 8 p.m. Eastern time from Coors Field in Colorado. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phone. Sal in Brooklyn. Hey, Sal. Hey, Pat. Good morning. How you doing today, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. A lot of great points uh, with the Yankees and with Cash and the minor leagues and how they overvaluate and and how they actually kill their minor leaguers coming up as well. Let me give you one great example right now, live. You know who was just signed to the AAA roster? Jake Lamb, that third baseman that's been out of baseball for 50 years. <laughs> they drafted a kid two years ago, Hardman. He's supposed to be a big bopping kid. This is what they don't do. He's in A Somerset. Rather than bring him up to AAA and see what happens after a year or two, if you got something or not, let me keep him down in the minors. Uh, let him burn a little bit, and we'll bring a Jake Lamb in. So they really never evaluate their minor leaguers properly, number one. Number two, they kill players when they come up. They kill Jabba Chamberlain. Start, stop, start, stop. We don't know what we want to do with him. They really don't prepare these guys for their roles coming out of the minors. Sanchez, perfect example. He can hit, he can't catch. Bring in a defensive guy. Catch on one knee, catch on two knees. Put one hand behind your back. Stand on your head and do a pirouette. They killed him. I'm not saying he was going to be the next Johnny Bench or, 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 or Carter, but they killed him before he even had a chance. And that's just typical of the Floreal. Everybody and their mother thought this guy was going to be the best ball player. But they killed him because when he came up, they wanted superstar numbers from him rather than letting him get acclimated to the game. He can give you a 240 bat with great center field play. Great center field play because he had the legs and the arms. But not for the Yankees. If he's not coming up to be that superstar, get rid of him. And he's a better, he could play center field as good as Beta. But they killed him. They don't give these kids chances at least to be productive major league players. With them, it's all or nothing, overhyped. Don't bring them up. And then sayonara, see you later. So it's on cash. As much as everybody wants to give him the benefit and that fake Yankee talk where they say, well, you know, we should be happy they're in the playoffs. It's, it's not playoffs, and I'm not one of these nut job fans. We only looking for World Series. We're looking for quality baseball. And this guy has not produced quality baseball, honestly, in the last 10 years where you got a legitimate leadoff man to get on, your big boppers pitching and defense. And everybody says, well, he puts together a good bullpen. They're always hurt, too. He's always finding arms that come back from Tommy John surgery. Everybody loves Loisica. Guy hasn't been healthy since we stole him from the Giants. And it's just a typical cash move. Let me get a bullpen. You bring back Kane Lee, he ain't going to do nothing. He pitch a day or two. Same thing with Kane. You got him from the Mar- You got him from the Marlins. Let's see what happens. I like these kids, but it's on cash, and he really has not put together a legit team. When you look at Gene Michael and Bob Watson, what they did to build what they did, this guy just sat off their coattails, and he's riding in the sunset behind what they did. He don't well, get the been, accolades from me. It, it's certainly been a, been a mixed bag, to say the least, Sal. Thanks for the call. And you ran the full gamut there. And, and it, it, what it comes down to is this. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked in a long time. You know, for this franchise, for what they have at their disposal compared to other franchises— to not have gone to a World Series since 2009, you know, um, they win in 09. 
you know, they got close in 10. They lost in the ALCS. And then, you know, slowly but surely, their success kind of eroded over time. 2011, they lost in the first round. And then they started missing the postseason um, in Rivera's last year and in Jeter's last year, which was kind of unconscionable when Joe Torre was the manager of the Yankees. You know, over time, things have gotten worse. Um, over time, expectations have been lowered because of that. But it's been a long time. And 14 years now, 14 years since they've been in the World Series, I just, I think at a certain point, <laughs> in my opinion, we're well past that point. At a certain point, you have to do things differently. And, and that goes for the manager, too. You know, he's been here for six years. He took over a team that was on the rise. And 2017, I think, is, and if we have time later, we'll go through this. 2017, I think, is going to be a tipping point uh, in Yankees history. I said it at the time. I've said it since. And I'll say it again today. I just, I think it was a mistake to move on at that point. I think the Yankees were just on the verge of, you know, the 2016 rebuild Selling off Chapman and selling off uh, Miller and Beltron and still staying in contention that year. And then the very next year, being within one game of the World Series. And then to move on from your manager, Girardi at that point. And I know Girardi's tenure in Philadelphia did not work out. And he left and then they went to the World Series. But this is about Boone. This isn't about Girardi. It's been six years. And I just think that, look, the expectations for this team, I, I agree with the last caller, Sal. The expectations are unrealistic if you say you have to get to the World Series every single year. But if you're the Yankees, can you get there twice in six years? Can you get there once in six years? You know, it's been six years, and this manager has been unable to lead them there. You know, they fired the hitting coach because they felt like a different voice was needed in that role. Why does the same logic not apply to the manager? And you could point to his regular season success. And through his first five years, he's got this incredible winning percentage. It's set up for him to have that. But this team needs to have more success in the postseason. And they're getting worse every year. And this year, it's starting to look like there might not be a postseason to fail in. At a certain point, a different, like, you know, we had Mets fans two weeks ago calling for Buck Showalter to be fired in his second year after we led them to 101 wins. We had Knicks fans after they lost to the Heat calling and saying that Tom Thibodeau is not the answer as the team's head coach. He's been here for three years. He's brought him to the playoffs twice, and he won a playoff series for the first time in a decade for the franchise. Playoffs? And these fans want him gone. Boone has had six years. He's had enough of an opportunity. This is, is this year six or seven? 18, 19, 20, 21. This is year six. He's had enough of an opportunity. If it's not working, you have to do something different. And... We're not only at that point, we're beyond that point. The business model the Yankees continue to employ 
is not working. Speaking of not working, it's not working at City Field either these days. We'll get into what the Mets did last night coming out of the All-Star break, the big statement that they made in their first action, and your calls on that at 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you for another hour and a half here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. So the Yankees off and running out of the All-Star break. Uh, Even worse than them, hard as that is to imagine, the Mets last night, who were one hit in a 6-0 loss to the L.A. Dodgers at Citi Field. Uh, So the Mets already up against it to begin the second half of the season. I saw ESPN did a whole playoff projection for all 30 teams for the post-All-Star segment of the regular season schedule. I think the Yankees, this is before last night, the Yankees' odds of making the playoffs or chances were listed by ESPN Analytics as 41%. I believe the Mets had a 7% chance to get into the playoffs. And again, that was before they came out. looked like they were still uh, on the All-Star break as they lost to the Dodgers 6 to nothing. Brandon Nimmo, a leadoff double to begin the game, and that was it. That was it. So essentially no hit over the final 27 outs of the game. Justin Verlander walked too many hitters, six of them in five innings. It drove up his pitch count, 104 pitches through five innings. Only gave up two hits. He struck out six batters. But, I mean, the Mets' offense was non-existent. Nimmo got the leadoff double, and that was it. He struck out twice. Tommy Pham took an 0 for 4. Francisco Lindor struck out three times and took an 0 for 4. Pete Alonso, whose average is now down to 208, took an 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Starling Marte, an 0 for 2. Jeff McNeil struck out twice and an 0 for 3. Francisco Alvarez, an 0 for 3. Brett Beatty, an 0 for 2. And Mark Canna, an 0 for 3. Yep, that adds up to 1 for 28 with 10 strikeouts. For the Mets last night. And they only drew one walk. And that was by Pete Alonzo. The Mets don't really. (laughs) Internally. You know the Yankees can at least point to. They don't have Judge. Which like I said earlier. When you're playing against teams like the Cubs. And the Colorado Rockies. And the A's and the St. Louis Cardinals. Shouldn't matter. They should be able to beat those teams without Judge. But at least they can point to that. The Mets don't have that. And Verlander's first start out of the break. Although, like I said, he wasn't given any run support anyway, but it was a concern because it's part of a continuing trend for him. Verlander was pitching very well over the last six weeks, but the one knock on his season this year, the biggest knock is the fact that his pitch counts continue to run high. Okay? And last night was a perfect example of that. But if your offense is going to muster one hit, there's not much more you can say. Let's hear what Buck Showalter had to say. How tough is it to start the second half like that? You know, we talked about it. You know, there's going to be ebb and flow to everything. Obviously, we understand the, the sense of urgency and the, the games that are ahead of us. You know, we got an opportunity. It's, it stings a little bit starting at this point because everybody makes it, whether it's false or not false, second half, it is what it is. What people look at it is as reality. So I'm hoping we can win the next two games against a good team and win the series and move on. I know our guys are frustrated by it. And again, to you know, compare the situations of the Mets and the Yankees, the Yankees are starting the second half with a very soft schedule, and the Mets are not. Coming out 
against the Dodgers, a team in the middle of a division race themselves with Arizona. They moved ahead of them into first place by themselves with that win last night. They've won five games in a row. They're a different-looking Dodgers team. You know, they didn't bring in the marquee free agent signing or trade for somebody like they have in recent years. You know, every year it seems like the Dodgers have a shiny new toy to add to their roster. They didn't do that this year, I think, because they're, you know, waiting in the weeds to make a big push for Shohei Otani after this season. And as a result, they got off to a little bit of a slow start this year. But they're hitting their stride now. They're still, as they have been for a decade, among the best teams in the National League. Now, Verlander, with those six walks, throwing 104 pitches through five innings, what was with all the walks last night? You know, the first couple I thought was you know just a bit of finding my rhythm after the All-Star break, and then the one inning just kind of lost feel. Had been on the stretch for a little bit, and yeah, I don't know. Like I said, lost my feel a little bit. Inexcusable. Can't walk six guys and expect to win a ball game or give your team a chance. I mean, was able to navigate the first few, and, you know, yeah, it just can't happen, especially at the bottom of the order there, as good as this team is, especially at the top of their lineup. You have to roll it over in that situation with walks. I mean, obviously the last thing you want to do as a pitcher. And this goes back to what I have been saying about the Mets for weeks. You know, once they fell to five games below 500 and ultimately 10 games below 500. You know, Verlander just said it. First game after the All-Star break, tough to find your rhythm. Completely reasonable explanation. Except, not to sound like a broken record, but because of the Mets' slow first half of the season, they do not have any margin for error. So they don't have the luxury of, you know, kind of feeling things out and getting their rhythm back coming out of the All-Star break. Because they threw away all of that currency with the way they played in the first half. And the Dodgers and Julio Urias didn't need to find his rhythm coming out of the All-Star break. And they've got a much more of a buffer than this Mets team does. But they were ready to hit the ground running last night. And the Mets weren't. From Verlander to the entire lineup to the bullpen... Again, I know it was against a difficult team, but this is a Mets team that is supposed to win and did win last year, 101 games. And Verlander says top to bottom, it was just a bad game and a bad way to start the second half. I mean, it sucks. I mean, this was not a good game of baseball in any facet, you know, but that doesn't mean that we can't go on a roll. We played good baseball going into the break, and, you know, I'll be damned if one game is going to be the thing that says, oh, you know, uh, well, we sure can't go on a run. That's, you know, that's not it. But, you know, we need to get back to that baseball. Even the losses that we had going into the break were good losses. You know, I felt like we stayed in the game. It was, we had a chance. You walk in the locker room afterwards, and you have your head up and say, all right, we did everything we could. And we lost that one. Let's come back tomorrow. Today doesn't quite feel like that. You know, we got beat pretty handily, and but there's tomorrow. That's the great thing about baseball baseball and you never really know what's going to happen the first day after the all-star break this wasn't obviously how anybody in this locker room would have liked to have started it but hopefully tomorrow we get back to playing that brand of baseball that we were playing before you know he's right to a certain extent it is just one game but I think with where the Mets are in the season and there are now 71 games remaining each successive game carries more magnitude and if they come out of this weekend and they take two out of three against the Dodgers then you Wipe your hands of last night, and it meant nothing. Because at this point, you need to win games, and you need to win series. But based on the way they came out last night with absolutely no urgency on the pitcher's mound or in the batter's box, what gives you the confidence to think that they're going to win these next two games against one of the top teams in the National League? I don't have a ton of confidence. 
All right, enter the ESPN New York no-hitter sweepstakes for your chance to win $25,000. Find the no-hitter tile on the ESPN New York app, pick a team, and submit your entry. Today's qualifier is Lauren Uslin from Helmeta, New Jersey, who has chosen New York's American League team to throw a no-hitter today. Presented by MoheganSunCasino.com. For full contest rules, go to ESPNNewYork.com. So, Changes and fixes are needed for both the Yankees and the Mets. Your thoughts on that and mine as well as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. First night post-All-Star break for the Yankees and the Mets last night. The Yankees with a two-run home run, two batters into the game, and that was it. They lose 7-2 to one of the worst teams in baseball, the Colorado Rockies. And the Mets a leadoff double by Brandon Nimmo, and that was it. No hits, one walk the rest of the game as they were shut out listlessly, 6 nothing by the Dodgers at City Field. Let's go to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, good morning. Hi, Pat. No excuse for the Mets. They were home. L.A. has to come all across the country, and you're telling me you're not ready for this game? That makes no sense. They're all home. They can relax, had a week off, six days off, five days off, whatever. I mean, come on. One hit like that, that's unbelievable. And no excuse by Verland. It makes zero sense. Uh, I got a message for Steve Cohen and uh, Hal Steinbrenner. Saturday and Sunday, I'm not watching any of your teams, neither of your teams. And I'm only going to watch one sporting event. You know what sporting event that is, Pat? Wimbledon? That's it. That's all I care about. Tomorrow morning, I'm getting up early, watching Alcaraz and uh, Djokovic, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, it's a good match, but it can't be any worse than what these two teams have been playing. They're unwatchable. I'm certain that the Yankees are rushing Judge back because he's in a no-lose situation. He can't get booed, and the fans will be behind him in the Yankees because he's trying to get back. This guy should just have the surgery and be done with it. He should have had it done a month ago. He would have been a month into the process. I mean, they're just fiddling around with this, playing around with this. This makes no sense at all. I mean, I don't want to see the guy out there hobbling. There's no way he can play. He's telling you he's hurt. He can't feel comfortable. They're going to put a special boot on him. I mean, who knows? I mean, to me, Pat... Pat, it makes no sense at all. So, I mean, and the Mets, I mean, the Mets remind me, <laughs> Verlander and Scherzer remind me, Pat, I'm going to go back to 65 when the Yankees, when the Mets brought in Warren Spahn. He was 43, 44 years old, Hall of Fame pitcher from Milwaukee Braves. They brought him to pitch for one year. And, uh, you know, in those days, the Mets weren't considered, you know, winning team or anything like that. They were entertainment. You laughed at the Mets. So they brought Warren Spahn in. But that's how old he is. He's the same age as Scherzer and uh, and Verlander. Yeah, and and thanks for the call, Richard. The the difference is, always a pleasure, Um, the difference is, you know, Verlander won the Cy Young last year, and and Scherzer – was a Cy Young candidate up until September last year. So the expectations, and I, I agree, the Warren Spahn reference is a good one because the Mets were kind of a sideshow back then, and anything to put, uh, you know, fans in the seats at uh, 65, I, I, get, I don't know. Yeah, that would have been Shea Stadium by then. Um, but Verlander and Scherzer are supposed to carry this team, and Scherzer did carry this team last year until he fell apart at the end of September, and then bombed in the first game of the wild card series against the Padres. The Mets are structured as such that if Verlander and Scherzer are not dominant, 
then they don't really have much of a chance of being successful. As far as Judge goes, I think the Yankees need to treat his situation uh, in a similar fashion to how they're treating the trade deadline. And, and they have this two-week stretch, and this goes for the Mets too, but the Yankees in particular have this two-week stretch. If the team doesn't play well in these next two weeks, and again, like I've pointed out repeatedly, it's against teams that they should beat. But if the team doesn't play well during these two weeks, then they shouldn't be over-aggressive at the trade deadline to try to go for something this season. And the same thing goes for Judge. I mean, if we're here in two weeks and the Yankees are around 500 and they're on the outside of the wild card looking in, don't rush Judge back. At a certain point, I do think it come, it could come to the point where you need to shut him down for the season because he's under contract for nine years, and he is the franchise and the future of the franchise, and you cannot jeopardize that. Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. I got a message for Steve Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner. Saturday and Sunday, I'm not watching any of your teams. 